When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson. Later than I wanted to be, I got hung up yesterday doing some research. Kind of a bit of a distraction, to be honest with you. Uh, there are some things in Bulldog baseball history at times that kind of rub me the wrong way, and I get kind of curious about them, and I get nosy, and I want to know what's going on or what happened or why things happened a certain way. I did all that research, and uh, I don't know. It didn't match my premise. I couldn't get to where I wanted, but I didn't want to waste all the research. So I wrote an article that took a few hours to write. And people think it's all so glamorous. It's not. There's a lot of times you do a lot of work. You don't get a lot to show for it. So I decided to do an article today about a look back at the last hundred years of Bulldog baseball coaches. So you can read that for free over at jeanspage.com. What's interesting, too, is uh, you may not know this. I don't know that I knew this until I really looked into it. I kind of suspected and heard. You know, Duty Noble was a phenomenal athlete at Mississippi State. He lettered in 14, 14 varsity letters in four sports. It's football, baseball, basketball, and track. He did it all. Then he went to work at Mississippi College. He was hired away to coach basketball and football at Ole Miss. And then, um, you know, we hired him. We did. We came in here and ended up being an athletic director. But... Um, you know, we named our baseball field after him, and uh, it was like two years into the Paul Gregory era. And Gregory, of course, played for Duty Noble. And Paul Gregory, of course, lettered in football, basketball, and baseball. A you know, multi-sport athlete here, and uh, was not a great basketball coach. We hired him you know, after he finished up his Major League Baseball uh, and pro baseball career and some time in the U.S. Navy. We hired him. He came in here and uh, coached basketball for a while and was not good. He was not good. Matter of fact, his final season, he won two SEC games. And uh, I guess Duty Noble just, you know, hey, maybe the right thing to do is let's move him over to, uh, to coach baseball uh, to uh, succeed Doc Patty, who was very successful, longtime assistant coach under Duty Noble Field, under Duty Noble, excuse me, but after we moved Gregory to baseball, we hired Babe McCarthy in basketball. So some interesting stuff. And so I went through all this stuff. And, yeah, Duty Noble Field. Dude, gosh, I can't – it's stuck on my brain. Duty Noble was not a great baseball coach. He was in the first part of his time here. He won three conference championships. And uh, the last seven or eight seasons were pretty nondescript. And what I'm told from some former players over my research doing these uh, books is that uh, the last few years, he was just really kind of there. That he really wasn't running a baseball program. That his activities and responsibilities as your director of athletics grew to the point that he could not successfully coach the baseball team the way that he wanted to. So he ultimately gave the job to Doc Patty, who immediately won back-to-back SEC championships and led us to the NCAA baseball tournament for the first time. And to be fair, the, the uh, college baseball tournament didn't begin until 1947. 
Doc Patty took over um, right then, you know. And so we win the SEC championship in 48, and we don't go. And I, I'm still going to research that because I want to know why. Us and Auburn win the divisions in 48, and we played a playoff, and we sweep them, and then us and Auburn sit home while Alabama and Georgia Tech, the runners-up in the West and the East, got to go to the NCAA tournament. And maybe the thought process was, is, well, hey, these guys won a championship of their own division and play for an SEC title. Let's reward somebody else. Maybe it's that simple. I don't know. But I'm going to research it and see what we can find out. I'm basically down to just trying to find some newspaper articles about that. But that's the kind of stuff that occupies my mind. I'm always, 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 always thinking. I mean, I'm nosy. I want to know, why, why did this happen? I feel like it's also my responsibility to document all that stuff. You know, maybe the next generation aren't going to be as diligent in their research. So I want to make it easy for them to find it. Not to mention, I think, in order for us to really appreciate where we are, we've got to understand where, from where we've come. But Duty Noble did not have a winning record in the Southeastern Conference. Maybe you knew that, maybe you didn't. He didn't. And we named the stadium after him while he was our athletic director. Not that I want to change the name of the stadium, and I'm not saying that, but uh, it's just interesting that we had a lot of other coaches accomplish uh, more. It was almost like it was an honor of longevity rather than, than greatness toward the end of his career. But, again, you look at a guy that got 14 letters and then comes back and coaches your baseball team, you know, for a couple decades and takes over as your athletic director. I mean, yeah, we need to put his name on something. But it's interesting. It is it's interesting. You can go read a little more about that. You'll find it interesting. And, um, you know, Dirty Noble died, you know, prematurely. Fairly young man. He did. And uh, we appreciate his contributions to Bulldog Athletics. But, you know, sometimes I'm just always curious, you know, what happens. Like, you may not know this. We've talked about it, I think, on the show when I was writing, uh, I think it was Alpha Dogs. You know uh, Billy Chadwick, right? That's the, the lake behind the Bryan building. You know, Billy Chadwick came in, and the uh, students called him Chad. They loved him. But he was your director of athletics. He taught PE. He coached football, baseball, basketball, and track, and convinced the university to build a gymnasium and varsity tennis courts. The guy was a visionary. And then as the sport began to grow with college baseball, he's the one that hired Duty Noble. And so Billy Chadwick eventually was, uh, was fired through no fault of his own as part of the Bilbo purge. You can Google that yourself. We had a, uh, a governor that was kind of power hungry, wanted to move Ole Miss from Oxford to Jackson, and uh, fired a bunch of people, you know, just all kind of silly stuff because they were all state-funded institutions. And uh, Chad got caught up in all that stuff. And, and they tell me it crushed him. It crushed him. He had given his life to Mississippi State Athletics. And then the job was ripped away from him. He went to work for a, uh, an insurance company, and he was doing a debit route. And for those of you young people that don't understand what that means, you know, back before we had the Internet, we actually had to go see people, you know, before you could pay bills online and things like that. And, and then back in those days, you didn't have telephones, more times than not. And so people would have health or life insurance, and then Billy Chadwick had a debit route. So he would go around to see all of his clients and collect payments from them and turn their insurance premiums in. And one morning, there was a truck driver riding along the highway there in Raymond that, uh, that fell asleep at the wheel, and he hit Billy head on and killed him. That's one of the reasons that lake is named after him, because of how tragic it all ended, but also to his service 
to your great institution. You never thought you when you got up today, you didn't think, you know what, I, I, I'm going to I'm going to find out who hired Duty Noble. Right. I'm going to find out what kind of career Duty Noble had. You, you never thought when you woke up this morning, that's the information that's going to drop on you. But that kind of stuff fascinates me. And I feel like if it interests me, it interests most of you. So you can go read about that over jeanspage.com. It's free. And if it's free, it's me. I tell you what's not free, but it's always worth your time, your effort, your money. It's Bulldog Burger Company. I am on the fence right now about going down there this evening. I told you guys I, I've got this thing with this uh, Mississippi barbecue burger. I really want to get one. I don't know if, it's, if tonight is the move or tomorrow. I, I'm not sure yet. Not sure. We'll see how I feel here because I'm getting on later recording the show. I've been working all day, kind of famished, and I was up late last night uh, working on the first chapter of the new book. So I probably should reward myself with some fine cuisine from Bulldog Burger Company. And I'm going to, whether it be tonight or tomorrow. I will. You need to reward yourself. You're busy just like me. Or maybe not just like me, but you're busy too. And sometimes you don't take time to eat. And if you do eat, it's something quick and it's not anything good for you. You can. There's a lot of good healthy options at Bulldog Burger Company. Whether you're going to have a fresh meal or a cheap meal, Bulldog Burger Company has something on the menu It'll certainly help you. It'll appeal to you. Go by and check it out. You'll be glad you did. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Star Vegas. Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. Lake Harbor Drive there in the Ridge and Flowood area. Maybe you're familiar with them. Maybe you're not. You, that's probably something we should do. You know, is, is maybe have somebody go out and go to all three locations and then kind of give us an update, right? Give us a review, right? There's so much consistency. Right? That's the thing that I love about Bulldog Burger Company. Every time I go in there, I know exactly what to expect. But speaking of things that maybe you're not expecting, this week, that's right, this week, going to have our first uh, tap takeover of the summer because, you know, school's out, so we're going to call it summer. So Thursday night, if you're in Starkville, the Memphis-made folks are going to be at Bulldog Burger Company in Starkville from, at 6.30. 6.30 p.m. going to feature five of their incredible selections. Also going to have some nice chef-curated specials. It's a special night. Some things that aren't ordinarily on the menu. And in addition to that, you can go by and have some, uh, some brew that's a little different than what you can get elsewhere. So go by and check it out. Support Memphis-made. Got some good reviews from our folks over in uh, Tupelo that had the good people brewing company come in there. And uh, again, that's the thing about Bulldog Burger Company. There's always something going on. Go by and check them out today. You'll be glad you did. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, we're going to spend a little time on this. I'm not going to spend the whole show on this, but uh, I just want to you know, kind of look at the bracket a little bit here. And, uh, you know, we didn't make it. Shocker, right? And it still irritates me to no end. It does. Like, everybody's like, well, Steve, you like it. You don't know what I think. A lot of times I keep my personal feelings to myself. But nevertheless, eight SEC teams, a new record, eight host sites, and people around the country are salty. They are. They're salty. And here's what I would suggest. Play better baseball. How about that? Play better baseball. Stop scheduling you know, the California School of, uh, you know, crayon research is your Tuesday game. I mean, look at what Kentucky did. I mean, you know, Nick Mangione, and I know some of you are tired of hearing me praise Nick Mangione in Kentucky. They put together a near-perfect non-conference schedule. 
Indiana State is always a top 50 RPI team. And that's a team you feel like you can beat. And so you put them on the schedule and you sweep them. Elon, that's another team, you know, a, a solid G5 mid-major type team. They're typically in the top 60 in RPI. And you go do that on the road. Everybody's like, well, why are we going on the road? Well, this is why. You get that RPI bonus point. And the fact that Kentucky is hosting now, pretty incredible. So congratulations. I text Nick, text Nick last night to congratulate him. He responds, really, really happy for Nick. A little controversy about Auburn getting in. I, I don't disagree with that. I thought Auburn was kind of safely in as a host. I know some other people don't like it. But I think when you look at it objectively, especially when you look at their clothes, it makes perfect sense for them to host. Of course, there's all these conspiracy theorists. Well, John Cohen got him in. Well, John Cohen got him in. Guys, Auburn, you look at the metrics, Auburn deserves to be in. If you want to, you, you got a beef here. You know, maybe Campbell should have hosted over South Carolina, but when you look at what South Carolina has done, if you had to pick between the two, let's be let's just kind of lay it on the line here. If you had to pick between Campbell and South Carolina, who's gonna host? And don't just factor in, you know, the RPI and the whole hipster college baseball thing. Who should host? All right, remember the experience we had at Louisiana Lafayette back in 14? Remember how terrible that was? And you go down there, there's nowhere to sit. They're not selling hardly any tickets. Remember the experience we had at Southern Miss in 2018? And I know this is an unpopular opinion, and I don't care. Those schools shouldn't host. But, Steve, no, they shouldn't host. But they deserve a home field advantage. You know what? Then their fans can go fill up a minor league ballpark. And Campbell, that's part of their bid. They were going to do it at the minor league ballpark. So I kind of get that. But like Southern Miss, I mean, listen, here's the reality of it. Southern shouldn't host. They should go play in Biloxi or they should go play uh, in Pearl. People say, but Steve, what about the local economy? You know what? There's a lot of years they don't host. And I got a lot of friends down there in South Mississippi that run businesses that benefit from all those crowds coming in. But let's be honest with you, it's really not the bigger crowd. It's not. I'm sure it helps. This really not the big a deal. I don't think that these little teams with little stadiums no matter how good they are, should host. That's my personal opinion. I'll die on that hill. We talk about it's all big business now, then make it big business. Let's stop being cute about it. And when you factor in the fact that Indiana State is hosting, it's kind of tough to justify getting two of those mid-major teams in. I'm from the 1900s back when we called things what they were. You know, nowadays we have to be so politically correct in what we say, you know, silliness. We used to call them minor conferences, but apparently that hurt people's feelings. We had major conferences. You had minor conferences. Where do you think that comes from? Well, now we can't even call them a minor conference. We've got to call them a mid-major. Okay, so who's the lower major? If we just eliminate that from the vernacular, it's no longer part of the lexicon of college athletics. You had major conferences and minors. What's wrong with that? So these minor conference teams with their minor baseball stadiums should not host, period. Because it's not just about them. Remember the whole NCAA thing. The whole point about hosting a regional is to facilitate the tournament. It's not just about you and your school. It's not just about, hey, yes, they should host. They've won. They've earned the right to host. Sure, absolutely. But, you know, you, you look around. You, you don't have any host schools for March Madness. You don't have any host schools for bowl games. I mean, you host 
in the playoffs for FCS and you host the first two rounds of the women's basketball tournament. But college baseball is unique in that respect. So we can't have it both ways, right? We can't say, hey, you know, hey, Steve, hey, we're going to do this, but we're not going to do this. We're going to do this in this sport, but not in this sport. You know, the bottom line is this. If we want to make it big business, make it big business. You don't think the Campbell Camel fans would turn out to go watch their team play in a minor league ballpark? Matter of fact, you probably would have more of them. And it's not just that team. You got to accommodate everybody. You saw the fiasco we went through in 14 at Lafayette and 18 at Southern Miss. It's the people are like, well, you should win more ball games. You know, what's that got to do with the fans? What does that have to do with the fans and their experience? This is supposed to be about the student athletes and not just the hosting school. Now, fortunately, places like us and Fayetteville and Ole Miss and LSU, you know, we can accommodate these huge crowds. You can bring all the fans you want. We'll pack them in. But I'm just going to tell you, I, I don't like it. I don't like these minor conferences, schools, hosting. I'm going to say it for what it is. Y'all can sue me. They're minor conferences. It's not to mean they're not good baseball programs. That's not what I'm trying to suggest. But if their administration wants to put some money in the coffers, then they need to invest in college baseball. You can't sit out, you can't just not do it, and then all of a sudden you get a good team together. Like, well, hey, this isn't fair. You know what? Enhance your facilities. How about that? All right, so Auburn's hosting a... All right, Bulldog fans, our friends from Tecovis want to remind you that uh, it's festival season, it's concert season, it's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comforts. So no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tecovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges shipped right to your door. Go to Tecovas dot com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write 
six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Regional Southern Miss will play Sanford. You, you kind of want, I'm sure Colton Ledbetter's happy here, but uh, it, it kind of bums me out when I see that Sanford gets in, you know, from SoCon, and then our guy, Colton Ledbetter, is not with his, with his guys over there. I'm sure he'll tell you he's happy he's been here, and he certainly has elevated his pro baseball stock. So, but I hate that. Uh, so Auburn will host Penn and uh, from the Ivy League. So you like Auburn and Southern Miss right here, but I have heard all these people. And one more thing about Southern Miss, and I'm sure I'm going to get some hate email. That's fine. Whatever. So, Steve, you're a hater. Guys, I went to Southern Miss. My wife graduated from Southern Miss. My mom graduated from Southern Miss. My grandmother graduated from Southern Miss. Southern Miss has a special place in my heart. They are not on the level of state no Miss. And all these people are like, well, no, it's, it's Southern Miss's turn to win it. No, it's not. It's not. We're not on the same level. I would have been, I'd been happy if Ole Miss had never won it. But now all these people are like, well, hey, wouldn't that be cool? No, not really. No, I don't think it'd be cool at all. Would be great for Mississippi. What? When did we start thinking in those terms? I want what's best for Mississippi State, not necessarily the state of Mississippi. You may disagree. Baton Rouge Regional, LSU is going to take on Tulane. And what a great run by the Green Wave as they win the AAC tournament with a 19-40 and 40 record. How about that? They were absolutely terrible. Found some juice late, and they win the thing. Now, they, their gift is to go down the road to Baton Rouge. Oregon State is the two. I can't imagine they're really happy about that, but let me tell you this. Oregon State could pitch it a little bit, too. They can pitch it. It'll be interesting. It's, you know, it's a regional and so you know that LSU probably won't throw Paul Skeens in game one, nor should they. Matter of fact, I'd probably throw Thatcher Hurd and save Paul Skeens and Ty Floyd for games two and three and hope you don't have to go through the loser's bracket. But I would save Skeens for uh, Oregon State because Oregon State's going to be able to pitch it. So we'll see. Oregon State's got Sam Houston. I like LSU to win the regional. If they lose a game in the regional, they may not get out of the regional. The Charlottesville Regional hosted by Virginia – Virginia is going to host Army in the 1-4 game. And then East Carolina, a really solid two. I know some people early on thought they deserved the right to host. They had some, some losses down the stretch. But a, a kind of a, you know, kind of a salty little matchup here. East Carolina and Oklahoma. This UVA regional is pretty interesting, to be quite honest with you. Oklahoma 31-26. and 26, Did some things late. I like East Carolina there. But uh, Oklahoma, you know, last year's national runner-up. They're back in the tournament. You know, they got a chance. That, that could be a very entertaining regional. Clemson, uh, I think Clemson really got hot down the stretch. Everybody saw that. They get Lipscomb. You know, we played them. 
Remember, remember Lipscomb when they, when they made their SEC tour and played us and Vanderbilt and Tennessee and everybody, and now here they are in the tournament, 36 and 24. Battle-tested, but they're not going to be – they won't win a game in this regional. But good for them, right, the Bison. Clemson gets them, and then Tennessee is there too. That, but you talk about – you know, that's a tough draw, but that's what happens when you're on the back end of the host. You know, like if you're the 14, 15, 16 host – you're going to get one of the stronger twos, and they did. Tennessee didn't host. Uh, when, I, when they went 0-1-1 in the tournament in the Hoover, you know that was going to happen. They'll get Charlotte. The 49ers actually kind of a sneaky good team at times. they got a good coaching staff there. But uh, this Clemson-Tennessee thing could be awfully interesting as we get into the weekend. Uh, the aforementioned controversial South Carolina regional, uh, Campbell versus NC State. You know, and NC State got snubbed last year. I like the Roots Regional here a lot. Central Connecticut State, 36 and 12. How's that for a number four, right? They'll get host South Carolina and Campbell gets NC State. Campbell's got a chance to have some program defining wins here, whether they win this regional or not. I like South Carolina because of their offense here, but I won't be the least bit surprised if it's Campbell in a regional final. I think Campbell will take down NC State in that 1 p.m. game on Friday. Uh, Coastal Carolina. Duke against UNC Wilmington. I mean, it seems like UNC Wilmington is like always like there. Coastal Carolina versus Ryder. Yeah, I like Coastal to take this, but I, I don't think this is a very deep region. I don't. I think Duke is a team that's so up and down, you never know what they're going to get. I can't see them putting together three consecutive games. All right, the Coral Gables Regional. This is one that you talk about one that's a little bit saucy. There it is. Texas and UL Lafayette. UL Lafayette nearly wins the uh, the Sun Belt. They lose to Southern Miss, but um, they make the field. They'll get Texas, and then Miami gets Maine. You know, we had some tough regionals with Maine years ago. It's hard to believe a team that far in the Northeast play good brand of baseball, but they have. But Texas and UL UL has got some decent pitching. I just don't know if they have enough against Texas, and the ball down at uh, Coral Gables flies pretty well. It'll be interesting. The Fayetteville Regional, I think this this is one of those sneaky good regionals here that nobody's really talking about. Arkansas gets Santa Clara. Everybody's got one good pitcher, and they'll throw their best guy against Arkansas. And I know everybody's going to be all hyped up. And what I think about, too, is I know Van Horn kind of has the Lamonis philosophy when it comes – you want to play this game – because of the fact, whoever you play the next day is going to have less time to prepare and rest, right? Everybody's like, oh, I want the night game. No, 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 not game one. No, no. I agree with Lamontis and Van Horn. Because what if game one gets done and the rain comes in and you, we don't get done playing until 2 o'clock in the morning? And you got to turn right back around and play again. That's tough, man. It is. But the reality of it is you're still playing, Right? That's the bigger deal. TCU versus Arizona. Now, this is interesting, too. TCU, very solid Power 5 program. Arizona, very solid Power 5 program. They did not do Arkansas any favors by sending these two teams down there. They're going to have some dudes. They are. Kirk Sarlos there at TCU. You know he's going to have a great pitching game plan. It'll be interesting to see in that 2-3 matchup if they throw aces, do they throw their regular Friday night guys? 
Do you throw off and throw a secondary guy and then maybe try to get Arkansas? I don't know if you can afford to do that. The Gainesville Regional, UConn is in Texas Tech. That's, that is a really good 2-3 game. That is a really good – UConn, one of the better teams along the eastern seaboard. Texas Tech and Timmy Tadlock, one of my favorite coaches. I love his approach to offense. I told John Cohen myself when we were getting ready to hire Chris Simonis, you know, what about Tim Tadlock? He goes, I hadn't talked to Timmy yet. I said, I wish you would. Not that I think Tim would left have left. You know, we could have made it interesting. Nothing else we could have got a, got a uh, raise for him. Florida and Florida a there's no way Florida throws uh, Sprout here. I would throw a midweek guy and save all my big arms, and Florida has a bunch of them. Their bullpen's been a little bit shaky, so they need some good starting pitching. Lexington Regional, that's right. That's right. Kentucky. I think I was the uh, first uh, believer on the bandwagon. I think even maybe some Kentucky fans probably didn't believe in this team like I did. After seeing them in person, I said they're a tough team. And people are like, oh, Steve, you know, you're just saying that because we lost. No, no, they're good. 36 and 18, they're hosting. They get Ball State. That's uh, the Fighting Nate Domes right there. They win the MAC championship. They'll have some good pitching. Kentucky is really good in their ballpark. And in West Virginia and Indiana, I don't know that Kentucky got a, a favor here. West Virginia is a team early on that a lot of people thought might even challenge for a top eight national seed. They ended up fading a little bit in conference play, but that's a team that can swing it. The Nashville Regional hosted by Vanderbilt, they get Oregon. That is not a favor to Vandy. Oregon, again, that's a team that ordinarily pitches it pretty well. Pac-12 not particularly strong, but Oregon consistently one of the teams that does a good job. They get Xavier. That should be a nice win for them. And then Vanderbilt against Eastern Illinois. But you got to feel like Eastern Illinois and Xavier have no chance to win this thing. It'll be a Vanderbilt-Oregon thing. I think in the end, Vanderbilt has more pitching. The Stanford Regional. Stanford will host San Jose State in a one-versus-four game. The Spartans with a 31-25 and 25 record. Uh, Stanford, a very solid program, very consistent the last few years. Really thought they had a chance last year to make a run at this thing. They didn't. Texas A&M and Cal State Fullerton, you know, the Titans, you know, the better days are behind them. You know, back when Augie Garrido there was a different deal. But A&M has been red hot as of late. They make it all the way to the SEC Tournament Final. Last year, a lot of people discounted A&M. They ended up at Omaha. A lot of people this year had him as a sexy pick to be a top eight national seed and make it to Omaha. I don't. I didn't think so then. I don't think so now. But uh, they're a team that can swing it a little bit for sure. For sure. How Stanford pitches this game and pitches this series will uh, will determine who makes it to the super. The Stillwater Regional, Oklahoma State. A lot of Bulldog fans will have their eyes on that game. Dallas Baptist is the two against Washington. That could be an intriguing matchup. That's the early game. And then the Cowboys will play Oral Roberts that evening. They'll likely throw off there. But Oklahoma State's pitching this year. It's kind of been by committee. they got a couple big dudes out there. But by and large, they've just kind of done it as a Johnny Holstaff thing. They have some bullpen pieces that are interesting. Won't be the least bit surprised if Dallas Baptist wins it, though. Going to be a good one. Looking forward to watching that. 
the Terre Haute Regional, Indiana State. They'll get Wright State. Remember those guys? And then Iowa and North Carolina. A couple of Power 5 programs coming in there. Iowa early on this year. Uh, they beat LSU. Iowa was a team early on. People thought, hey, this is going to be the team uh, in the Big Ten. Put together a really solid team, 42-14. and 14. They're a, a really trendy number two going to Indiana State. I don't like Indiana State to win this thing. People forget Indiana State went to Kentucky and got swept. I think North Carolina and Iowa will just simply have too much pitching. I think Indiana State loses game two no matter who they play and then gets bled to death in the loser's bracket due to a lack of pitching. Just my expert opinion, I guess you'd say. Uh, the Tuscaloosa Regional, a lot of people early on this year felt like this veteran team, Alabama, would be a team that would contend. They've gotten hot now uh, since the termination of Brad Bohannon. We'll see. And has Jason done enough to keep that job? You know, two weeks ago, people told me no. But now you look at what they've done down the stretch here and you begin to wonder, maybe Greg Burns thinking, you know what, hey, let's just kind of stick with this. But is this a Gary Henderson situation? Or maybe there's some things that we don't know. Maybe you don't know that he can manage it. Maybe he can handle the, the game-to-game type stuff. Maybe recruiting's not a strong point for him. Uh, Boston College against Troy. A lot of people thought Boston College might be a team that got snubbed. They didn't. They'll get Troy, a team that can swing the bat, 39-20. and 20. Very, very, very solid minor conference team. And then, uh, of course, Alabama has beat them in a midweek game, but uh, midweek pitching is a little bit different. Alabama gets Nickel State. You know, we played them down in Biloxi. They're in the tournament. Probably a good article here is, like, who all have we played that made the uh, tournament? But Alabama, they're red hot right now, and you got to like their chances to get to a super. I don't know if they get beyond that, but uh, pretty good chance that they make it. So looking at the um, – if I can get this thing to open up here. Sometimes the NCAA makes things more difficult than it has to be on their website. Sometimes. I can't just click a picture and have it blow up. Why do I have to go get this PDF, right? It's always something. There's always a racket. People are always trying to find a way to make it more complicated. All right. All right, so the other side of things here, we got, okay, Wake Forest will take on George Mason. And then Northeastern is the three against Maryland, the two. You know, early on, Maryland and Ole Miss had some really good ball games. For a while there, I want to say Maryland was leading the nation in home runs. Not anymore, I don't believe. But they are opposite the Alabama Regional. So you like Wake Forest in a super there. Uh, Miami, of course, we discussed that one a little bit earlier. Miami or Texas will win that thing, I think. And then Stanford. You like Stanford? I do. LSU is paired up with the Kentucky Regional. Wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't that be something if Kentucky could go down to LSU and win? Be interesting. Uh, Auburn is paired up with the Clemson Regional. I, I like Butch Thompson a lot in postseason. I really do. And I think whoever wins that Regional, and I don't, I don't discount Tennessee, you know, Auburn having the chance – to get to Omaha. There's a couple times Butch has made it and nobody gave Auburn a chance. The guy just has a great approach. 
Florida's paired up with the South Carolina Regional. I, I like Florida to get the Omaha. I think Florida's capable of winning this whole thing. They've got a great offense, and they don't have to play another home game or play another road game until they get to Omaha if they keep winning. And I also think that if South Carolina survives that regional with NC State and Campbell in there, it's going to be an absolute bloodletting in many respects. Uh, Coastal's paired up with Virginia. I like this Virginia team. I think they're, you know, Brian O'Connor's always did a good job uh, putting a good pitching staff together. They have the pieces to get it done. Vanderbilt's paired up with Oklahoma State. I like Vandy to get to Omaha. And then Indiana State with Arkansas. I think Arkansas is capable of winning the whole thing. And I, I made that comment to a few people the other day, like, really, Arkansas? Yeah, yeah, I think Arkansas is. They have the arms. They got the toughness. You know, they do. So it's a wide-open field. I mean, there's nobody you look at right now and say, okay, yeah, they got it. Because, you know, two years ago, Arkansas was number one with a bullet, and we won it. And last year, Tennessee might have even been a better team. And Ole Miss won it. So it's, I think it's going to be one of these wild teams. I don't think it'll be Wake Forest. You know, there's only been one overall number one national seed that has won it, and that was Miami in the first year of this new format. So I think it'll be somebody besides Wake Forest, but I like an SEC team to win it. You start piecing this thing together and think about, okay, Florida and Virginia, first game at Omaha. That'll be interesting. Two uh, coaches with uh, big pitching. And then Vanderbilt, who I think will play Arkansas, First game at Omaha, like that. I like that side of the pot a lot. Three, there'd be three SEC teams on that side with Virginia. On the other hand, you know, I think Wake Forest will probably beat Alabama and get get there. I just don't think they win. And then of course Miami and Stanford. I like Stanford to get there too. So that would have Wake and Stanford in game one. Like Stanford a lot there. LSU versus Kentucky. Let's just let's just be crazy and pick Kentucky. And then Auburn versus Clemson, you know, I think, I think I'd like Auburn. So, I mean, you start looking around this thing, LSU and Kentucky, somebody for sure is getting in, then Auburn and Clemson. So, let's say we take Auburn, and then you know either Kentucky or LSU are getting in. So, that's two SEC teams on that side and three on the other. So, good chance to have five of eight teams at Omaha from the Southeastern Conference. You know, people complain every year, and, you know, Outside of maybe March Madness, I think getting, winning in Omaha is probably tougher than anything. And the last three NAFL champions are from the Southeastern Conference. Four of the last five are from the Southeastern Conference. And it's not like, oh, well, you're just getting a cakewalk. It's not like we're playing these things in Hoover. You know, we go to Omaha, we go to Omaha. Everybody's on a level playing field. And so all of a sudden you take all these SEC teams and you put them together in a 64-team field and you shake them up and all of a sudden we, we reunite in Omaha for the SEC tournament part two with a couple of interlopers. You know, I think there's a really good chance, a really good chance that the SEC wins it again this year. And the team that I like that's not an SEC team is Stanford. I do. I like Stanford. I think Stanford, and I think on that side of the bracket – I think LSU's offense doesn't play well in Omaha. I don't think they're going to be able to play home run derby up there. They're going to have to play baseball. I think Stanford's brand of baseball because they're willing to bunt and run the bases and things like that. I think that's they're different than SEC. West Coast baseball is different than Southeastern Conference baseball. And I think a West Coast team, you know, with the right amount of pitching, can win this thing. And it's been a while. I mean, you hadn't had a West Coast team win it since 13 when UCLA beat us. 
and we, we were so convinced we were going to win it. I guess Oregon State, that's a Pacific Northwest team. I guess we'll count them. They, they won it in 18. But you kind of get my point is that it has been primarily a Southern decade. Absolutely has been. Because you throw in, you know, Coastal Carolina. You throw in Virginia. It's going to – traditionally, it's going to be a team from the Southeast that wins this thing. Uh, but West Coast baseball is different. They're just different. And that's not to say better or worse. They're just different. And uh, I like Dave out there at Stanford. I do. I had a good time when those guys came to Duty Noble Field. It was a weekend that we'll never forget. And uh, we're able to make it to Omaha, but uh, couldn't finish the deal. But nevertheless, uh, I'm excited about the tournament, even though we're not in it. All right, time for today's top ten list. is always brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. Blair Chandler is a mortgage professional. A lot of people out there in the mortgage industry, Blair's a pro. 22 years of experience back to back to back. Top 1% close ratio. You want somebody that's going to get you to the closing table? You know, I've been having to deal with all this stuff lately, not with necessarily mortgage-related stuff, but, you know, with the new business. I mean, it's like you want somebody to kind of navigate you through this where you can just kind of live your life knowing that you've been trusted, your hopes and dreams and aspirations into the hands of a professional. That's what you're going to do with Blair when it's time to, to work with your mortgage. A lot of people want your business. Blair's a guy willing to prove it, and he already has. Works at Fairway Mortgage. A huge mortgage lending house. One of those companies, too, that uh, prides themselves on customer service. And listen, it's summertime. If you're thinking about making a move, now's a perfect time. Because if you pick out a house now, uh, chances are, barring some totally unforeseen, Blair can have you in that thing and settled before the next school year starts. Reach out to Blair on his personal cell number, 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. CloseWithBlair.com. All right, so the day I decided on my own, it's Memorial Day, and um, this is not a Memorial Day-related thing, but uh, everybody else is out partying and having barbecue and things of that nature, and I'm working. But I'm also remembering those that gave the ultimate sacrifice so we have the ability to uh, you know, celebrate and have a cookout and things of that nature and have freedom. There's so many that gave so much. And in many respects, to a nation of people that are so ungrateful. So we're, we're grateful. But we're not doing a Memorial Day Top Ten. I don't know how we would put that together. I guess we could always do, uh, you know, God bless the USA or whatever. But uh, my point being is that uh, I decided on my own, hey, let's do this. Let's take and combine two of our favorite things. Two of our favorite things and put a list together. You guys love the 90s rock. You do. It's not as good as the 80s rock, but it's good. Yeah, that's right. I said it. I don't, know. I don't care when you went to college. It's true. 80s rock is better than 90s rock. However, you guys like 90s rock and you like the one-hit wonders. So what if we did a 90s one-hit wonder rock and roll list today? That's what we're going to do. And uh, some of these bands, I, I, well, a couple of them, I would say, are not truly one-hit wonders. But, you know, my definition of a one-hit wonder may differ from yours. I think we listen to different radio stations. But here we go. Top 10, 90s, alternative rock, one-hit wonders. Number 10, the guitar tone on this one is remarkable. I don't know a lot about this gentleman's past, but I know this. The guy can play a mean guitar. It's Edwin Collins' A Girl Like You. And when that song hit the radio, it almost felt like something from a different era. 
It's incredible. Edwin Collins, A Girl Like You. And you're like, I don't remember that one. Well, you will when you turn it on. Number nine, a contemporary Christian group has had a lot of hits. I want to say they've won a couple of Dove Awards. At least they were nominated. It's a great band, Jars of Clay. And my favorite song from them is Flood. So that's going to be your number nine song, because if I can't swim after 40 days, right? Great song. Number eight, a song that I listened to recently, and it's one of these things you just kind of stumble across. Like, you get that earworm. It's like, who sings this? Right? Where, where was that from? What, what time in my life? And it's a great song from a great band called the Nixons. The song is Sister. Sister, I See You. You know, it's, it's a great track. It's rocking. I love the vocal on this one. Your number eight song, the Nixons, Sister. Number seven, if you have listened to the B&B show for a long time, it's no longer the B&B show. You know, it's Thunder and Lightning. Uh, my friend Brian Haydad used to have an intro it featured this track. It's Space Hogs in the meantime. And now I can't listen to this song without thinking about Brian. So Space Hogs in the meantime, number seven. Number six, that we've had a TikTok trend here in the last year or so about this. And uh, I kind of reject that on principle. But it features the great song from Wheatus called Teenage Dirtbag. And people are like, hey, do you want to see my Teenage Dirtbag photos? And I'm like, you don't have any. And they post these pictures, and sometimes people surprise you, but more times than not, they don't. They're not dirt bags. They're just fakers of the funk. But uh, it's an interesting kind of silly song, and uh, I, like, I like the song. I like its presentation, and the fact that it mentions Iron Maiden, I think, is big. Number five, a true one-hit wonder. Kind of an up-tempo, funny song. Not as funny as Teenage Dirtbag. But it's a band called The Refreshments. I don't know why they named themselves The Refreshments. Maybe it's so they put on the marquee, hey, well, you know, refreshments will be served. But it's a song called Banditos, because uh, meet me at the mission at midnight, we'll divvy up there. Great track. That seems fair. Number five, The Refreshments, Banditos. Number four, I love this song. I absolutely did. This was uh, in 96. I remember buying a little uh, sampler CD, and it was on there. And uh, loved it a lot. It's a band called Dogs Eye View. And I actually had uh, an independent release, like before they had a uh, record deal. Had this CD that had all these unsigned bands on it. They were one of them. Next thing I know, the song is everywhere. It's uh, Everything Falls Apart from Dogs Eye View. Because if you're not the lead dog, the scenery never changes. That's words for living right there. Yeah, that's right. All right, number three, I love this one, and uh, I wanted to cover it back when I had a rock band with uh, Eric Carter and Billy Davis and Shelby Stogner and those guys. Uh, Clay Pittman was our lead guitar player for a while, but uh, we didn't do it. I love the opening guitar riff. The vocal on it is uh, somewhat amateurish. I mean, it's on, it's on tone, don't get me wrong, but uh, the guy doesn't have a ton of range. But it's Three Strange Days from School of Fish, and I want to say we've had this song on a top ten list before. I'm almost positive we did. School of Fish, Three Strange Days, that's your number three song. Now, some people may consider our number two song maybe the greatest one-hit wonder of the 90s. A lot of people would, would probably argue that. An incredible vocal on this one, absolutely incredible. A very catchy name for a band, too. It's Four Non Blinds with the song What's Up. And it seems like it's everywhere. Now we're doing these reels. Everybody's doing video and kind of putting their best foot forward letting us have a window into your life even though most of that uh, window is opaque 
and covered in stained or shattered glass. But this what's been real popular again. So the new generation has kind of embraced this song. It was very good. The rest of the album is very, very basic. But uh, the vocal carries it. I don't even think it's the song or the lyrical content. I think this, the, the vocal performance on this is so great that that's what stands apart. Four Nine Blondes, what's up? Number one for me. And again, I could make an argument this is not a uh, one-hit wonder. You may disagree. It's probably the only song to hit the top one for, or top 40. But it's Dishwalla. It's Counting Blue Cars. Now, I really like Charlie Brown's Parents. That's probably my favorite song on that album. It's called Pet Your Friends. I really like that one. And I love Once in a While, too, off the follow-up album. love those songs. But Counting Blue Cars, when it hit, there were, people loved it initially, and then they listened to the lyrics, and are like, well, hey, I don't know if I like this. It's almost sacrilegious, you know, because the chorus is, tell me all your thoughts on God. And then when he gets to the end of the song, he's because like, I'm on my way to see her. And you're like, well, wait a minute. This isn't, this isn't biblically correct. And let me remind you, too, it's just a song, okay? It's just a song. It's just art. I get it. not trying to challenge your beliefs here. Uh, if I sang it, I would say he. I'm on my way to see him. That would be how I would write it. But I didn't write it. I didn't perform it. These guys are obviously more talented than me. That's why they're number one. It's Dishwalla. Counting Blue Cars. And I love the whole album. I think that album from start to finish is spectacular. I mean, I, and I think about that era in music. You know, we had Collective Soul with uh, hints and allegations and things left unsaid. That's one of those albums, too. You can just kind of put it on and let it play. It was incredible. And then uh, August and Everything After from Counting Crows. That's another one of those albums, too, that I think you just kind of put on and let it go. Same thing for New Miserable Experience and the Jim Blossoms. But there were multiple hits on all those albums, so they didn't qualify for our list today. I put Dishwalla in that same category as the Pet Your Friends album. I think it's just one of those songs that you, one of those albums that uh, takes you on a journey. I, I dig it. And uh, I, I like the harder, edgier stuff that they did. Uh, but they're best known for counting blue cars. And uh, of course, when this song came out, Ani was just a little kid, man. He was so little. And uh, I remember Dana telling me, she said, every time I hear that part about, am I very far now? It reminds me of Ian, I mean, of Ronnie, excuse me, I got so many kids. Um, and so I'll, it kind of takes me back to that time. And that was a difficult year for us. I mean, you know, it's like we, we had a baby and we were new parents for the first time. We had lost a baby. And so we were so incredibly, you know, sensitive to everything in life. And um, that particular song just kind of stands out from that era in my life. And maybe that's why it's number one instead of What's Up from Four Nine Blinds. But uh, I love the track. And uh, I love the vocal performance. And uh, the singer, I can't remember his name. He actually has had some success as a solo artist, but never on the same level as he did with Dishwalla. And I don't know why bands break up. I mean, you know, I don't know why people break up. It's just part of life, you know. After a while, people move on, and they outgrow each other, and things change. But all that said, this is an album that was very, very important to me at a very important time in my life. So I hope that you dig it. Check it out. It's Dishwalla's Pet Your Friends. And uh, we're going to wrap that today with Counting Blue Cars. If you have an idea for the top 10 list, reach out and let me know. Uh, we've gotten a few. And sometimes, again, I can't do a list justice. Like some, like some people have hit me up with some kind of obscure acts. And listen, I've got some obscure acts uh, that are, are favorites of mine that I don't know that would be appealing to you. And uh, I know there are a lot of people today when I do a modern rock band, they're like, Steve, I mean, come on. And then I do all this 80s stuff, and the young people are like, Steve, you're stuck in the 80s. I'm not. I like it all. 
you know, I, I could put you a list together and you know, put the Sea Hags on there and Salty Dog and people like that, and even even your parents wouldn't know those songs. They wouldn't know Veins, no Respect album. They wouldn't know it because they weren't as cool as me, and they're not as cool as me. But the reality of it is, and I'm joking, don't get your feelings hurt. I'm sure your parents are great. But my point being is that uh, if I can't do a list justice, we, we don't do it. It's not that I'm a snob or anything. We just, I don't want to disrespect your list. And there are sometimes people reach out and I'll say, hey, we probably should do this. And I'll reach out, especially when it's on the country music side. I'll reach out to some people that love country music and I'll have them put a list together for us. And then I'll go back and listen to their list. And if I don't agree with the order, I'll change it. But uh, you can find us on social media. I'm on all forms of social media, at Scout Steve R. And uh, Roy, available at Dogmatic67. That's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. You can find Roy on Twitter.com and find our great list on Spotify. Thanks, as always, to Roy for taking the time to put all this stuff together. Uh, and he, listen, he is absolutely obsessed with this. I mean, at no point has he ever said, hey, I need a break. And uh, he hit me up the other day and told me how great our 83 rock list did, and that was his idea. And last I heard we were over 10,000 impressions on that list, which is phenomenal. So maybe we go back and revisit a rock list on Wednesday show. And I have people that hit me up from time to time and say, hey, Steve, so-and-so from this band died. Could you do them? And I think I don't really know that band or that catalog. And so it's not that we want to disrespect them, but like the Tina Turner thing. I mean, you know, she's... She's a worldwide superstar, right? I mean, everybody knows Tina Turner, and uh, she's an American icon, and she is in every aspect. And so we can't do a tribute to everybody, but uh, we certainly try to uh, when we can, especially those that have a very decorated career like uh, one Tina Turner. But hit us up, let us know. We just may use your list, and uh, we we welcome all suggestions. This has been going on now for kind of about four years now. Yeah, we started this in, uh, what, March of 2020. And so, you know, we're, we're already through our three-year anniversary of the top ten list and uh, still finding things to talk about. That's a good thing about music, man. There's always something good. You know, we did one uh, you know, here recently about pigs. Pigs. Roy didn't think I could put it, pull it off, but we did. We did the Thanksgiving list. He didn't think I could pull it off. I could put a Thanksgiving dinner together of songs. We did. We did. Nothing is beyond our reach. Nothing. But thanks, as always, to our good friends at um, Close the Blair. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. And uh, Campus Bookmart, he started building an institution, uh, a company that's been in business a long time, doing a great job for the Mississippi State fan base. If you're looking for Mississippi State merchandise, look no further than Campus Bookmart. Next time you're in town, go by and see their smiling faces, Ms. Pam Menyard, Ms. Kathy Brown, the lovely, talented Susie. Everybody up there will treat you like family because in their minds you are family. And if you can't make it to town, they'll take care of you courtesy of Al Gore's Internet and the World Wide Web. Visit them at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That's BSR. That gets you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks. And as you're getting ready to outfit your family for vacation or for football season, uh, you need to get some new maroon and white merchandise. Got to rep the brand, man. Got to let people know where you stand. They can take care of you. Maybe you live in a foreign land. Maybe, you, maybe you're not a person who lives in Mississippi. Maybe you're in the mission field out in uh, California or something, you know, and uh, you can support a Starkville business uh, by going to campusbookmart.net. And listen, Starkville is a special place to all of us, and, and many of you can't make it to town as often as you like, but you can still support our businesses courtesy of the Internet. And uh, I, I support 
that endeavor. Uh, it's incredible to go in there sometimes when something big has happened and, and I'll see online orders just stacked up and stacked up and stacked up and they're packaging things up for, to send them out to uh, post office, man. It's incredible. So thanks for your support of uh, Campus Bookmark. All right, let's talk a little bit about uh, the portal. The spring portal opens tomorrow. Today is the 29th. It opens on May 30th. Mississippi State already picked up a commitment uh, from Nate Lamb, a Division II pitcher. Got him uh, interviewed yesterday. Pretty nice. From Young Harris College. And he's taken the securitist route to the SEC. He was a Clemson signee, former number two pitcher in the state of South Carolina. The number one guy went to Coastal. Nate was committed to Coastal, flipped to Clemson, signed with Clemson, spent the fall there. And like a lot of guys, too, maybe just wasn't ready. You know, we, we had that happen, too, where guys come in, and after the fall, they, they make a move on to junior college. Uh, and he does. He moves to Spartanburg Methodist College, winds up at Young Harris College in a Division two. He tells me he went that route because he had some teammates going there, and they were all really close. And so he elected to go with them. And uh, big, strong, 6'5", 230-pound left-hander. And, uh, you know, listen, we're going to go through some numbers here, but you know, the reality of it is – is I wonder sometimes if it's not more of the same, right? That's what worries me at times. Uh, but you've got a guy that had a, a very w- winning record this year. He's 8-1 and one this year, 15 appearances, 14 starts. His one non-start ended up being a save opportunity. Uh, he led the program with 89 and a third innings pitch, allowed under a hit per inning. And you wonder a little bit about that, right? I mean, the quality of competition – it's only going to get better, but you hope that he can make a jump on top of that. 35 earned runs last year, 90 strikeouts to 28 walks, so right there at 3-1. to one. He did allow 19 extra base hits, 10 doubles, uh, 3 triples, and 6 home runs, and a, a, an opponent's batting average against 252. So I could, I could stand to see him miss a few more bats. The numbers that stick out to me, though, is he led the team with 14 wild pitches. And he tied for the team lead and hit by pitches. So that's 24 right there where 24 errant throws that led to a base allowed or a base runner aboard. But you look at a guy that's throwing uh, mid-90s from the left. You know, maybe you take a mile or two per hour off and you get some better control there. But, uh, you know, a good year this year. And uh, last year, a little different. You know, kind of looking at uh, his full bio here. You know, from a, from a year ago, if I can get it pulled up here, his career numbers. So, in 2022, he was 6-5 and five with a 5.11 ERA. This year, the ERA is down to 3.53. The wins are up from 6 to 8. The losses are down from 5 to 1. And it's a similar number of appearances. 15 appearances, 14 starts. He had a complete game in each year. Last year, he threw a complete game shutout. 79 and a third innings pitched, allowed just over a hit per inning, so that's down a little bit too. Uh, allowed 58 runs last year, that's down 18 runs this year. Earned runs, 45, that's down 10 this year. Walks were up to 45, this year down to 28. Strikeouts are pretty much a constant, 89 to 90. But the rest of the numbers are right there about what you'd expect. You know, the doubles, 10. And you give up more triples and home runs just by, you know, a couple spots. But uh, he faced nine more batters this year, and the batting average against went down from 260 to 252. His first year there, 
uh, at YHC, though, 17 wild pitches. So it's down three. But listen, 14's not going to get it done. And, he, and in his freshman year, excuse me, his freshman year, uh, his first year there, he, he hit 10 batters as well. And so what that tells me is we've got some control issues here, right? Yes, he won some games, but he also had a ton of wild pitches in, in two years, 31 wild pitches. And maybe some of that's on the catcher too. But the reality of it is, is we have to have strike throwers. I'm not saying that he can't be a piece for you, but you know, I just don't, I don't, this does not inspire me to say, hey, this is going to be a guy that challenges uh, for the Friday or Saturday uh, weekend spot, not based on the numbers. Maybe, you know, with that arm talent that he has, maybe we've seen some things mechanically that we could fix. And a lot of people say, but Steve, why didn't we wait? And what the new pitching coach have a say in this? Well, how do you know he didn't? You don't know. He may have. I think that's important to understand. But, yeah, can he be a matchup guy for us? Can he be a bullpen piece for us? It's a big power left-handed arm. And so maybe it's worth taking a chance So when you see how many uh, spots we need to fill. But uh, I don't think this is a guy at this point that I would say, hey, yeah, he's moving up from D2 to the Southeastern Conference, the greatest conference in all of baseball, and he's going to set the woods on fire. I'm not expecting that. And, and this is not – again, it's the first commitment in the class. And so I got, tried to encourage a couple people yesterday, let's just take a deep breath here and let it play out a little bit, right? Because you see the 8-1, and one, you see that ERA, and you think, hey, that's not bad. And you get a little deeper into the numbers, and you see all those wild pitches and hit-by-pitches, and you realize, you know, is this Andrew Walling all over again? Is this Eric Sarantola again? Yeah, I, I don't know. You know, because I'll be honest with you, I want guys to throw strikes. I want guys to throw strikes. That The batting average against doesn't bother me as bad as those other numbers do. You know, it's like, hey, if a guy hits his way on, then he hits his way on. But I don't want it to be a situation where, you know, we're hitting a batter and then allow him to go to second. We've already endured enough of that. But, again, I think he could be an interesting piece, especially from the left side. If he's, if he's a right-hander, I don't, I don't take him. You know, there's not a lot of left-handed people out there, but there's a demand for those left-handed pitchers. And so – I get taking him, especially since it appears that him and Coach Wagner have a, a relationship with Monas and Wagner do. And so you look at this and you say, okay, all right, we'll see how it goes from here. But I'm curious about how a guy that is rated the number two pitcher in South Carolina and signs with Clemson didn't just bounce back immediately after a year in JUCO. Was there an arm issue? I don't know. Those are the things you begin to think about, the things you question. The raw materials are there, but it's one of those things, too, when a guy's 23 years of age, he kind of is who he is, right? It'd be one thing if he was a high school kid and he was a little bit erratic with his control and not able to hit his spots, but this is a guy that's played, you know, four years of college baseball now. And so, you know, are, are we really that smart? You know, that's, again, I'm just kind of shooting it as I see it, right? I'm not just going to sit here and gloss over this and say, oh, I think he's going to come in here and be dominant because if he wasn't dominant on the Division II level – what suggests to me that he will be in the SEC, right? We're just not that smart. And that's not being critical of Lamonis. But, again, I understand taking him, but not just him. And like the Nate Dome thing last year, that was the thing with Nate. You know, he was a freshman. He started some at Ball State. By the end of the year, he was really good. you you got to give guys a chance to acclimate. But these are not similar situations. Now, I see the video, and I can see some whip. You know, I can see a guy out there that um, kind of snakes it behind his head and has really good arm talent, kind of an effortless motion. 
So maybe it is something. And maybe it's pitch calling. Maybe he had a catcher he didn't trust. I don't know. I don't know all the variables. But I know it's not something I look at and just you know, exudes confidence and say, okay, this is our guy. And I think a lot of Bulldog fans are thinking, hey, you know, we need to get, get this guy and that guy and we got these needs. That's not to say there's not a role for this guy. That's not, I'm not suggesting that at all. And uh, he said himself, I got something to prove. I've got something to prove. And, um, you know, he does. And clearly, again, you see the video and you see that he clearly has some talent. If we just got to be able to harness that. And, again, everybody's gotten to the point now. Everybody wants to throw, you know, harder. Uh, sometimes that's not good. You know, sometimes I'll see these guys and say, oh, well, this guy's throwing 95, 96. And then you go out there and watch tape of them or you see them in person and everything's flat. You know, in this league, if you're 95 and flat – you're headed to junior college or you're headed to the transfer portal. You're not going to make it at this level if you're 95 and flat. I didn't see that in a limited video that we saw of him, and I guess that's two years old too, right? I mean, so I think it's important to understand there is some room for improvement here. This is not a guy, again, you look at and say, hey, this is, hey, this is our Friday night guy. You know, I, I would venture to say the Atlanta Garments numbers were better coming out of Memphis, and Atlanta was a winning guy on a terrible team. And so, again, the raw materials are there. And, again, when you've got a guy that can throw 95-96 from the left and can spot up a change and land a breaking ball for a strike, it's intriguing. But I want a guy, too, that's not going to plunk people. Just my personal opinion. Uh, so, I, I think the quest for a couple more starting pitchers continues. And, uh, you know, Nate Williams is a guy, too, that uh, you can't put all your eggs in that basket and Nate Williams, the guy that didn't pitch for us last year, he's another guy that, that, that has a lot of velo. He, he was considered by many the top junior college closer in the country last year. And he shows up to, to camp, and he's, he's not, not quite right. And so you didn't get a chance to see him. So my hope is, is that Nate bounces back to form, and uh, Nate's ready to roll. Now, Stone Simmons, and we talked about him at length, too. Stone, Stone could have come back late in the year this year, but there's no way you waste a year of his eligibility in a season like this. I know you're trying to win, but I thought that was a very unselfish decision uh, right there and say, hey, listen, you know, Nate's better than ever. Excuse me, Stone's better than ever, but in this dog of a season, we're not going to throw him out there and then let's not make Hoover or make a run in the tournament and we've wasted a year of his eligibility. You know, that's the right thing to do. Uh, but I feel like with Stone coming back and Brooks coming back, you know, Brooks you know, had really shown some flashes last year before he got hurt. We felt really good about the direction that he was headed uh, so you, you feel good about those pieces, but we have got to get two starters out of the portal. And my honest opinion is this, and, and listen, I get it. If, if they're not an ace or a weekend guy that's maybe throwing Friday or Saturday right now and getting Division One success, I, I don't want them. You know, and nobody's asking me. And I mean, Lamontis doesn't call me and say, hey, can you watch film on this kid and tell me what you think? That, those conversations never happen. That's not that I don't talk to Chris, but he doesn't trust me to make evaluations, and he doesn't trust, trust John Q. Message Board guy either. And so I say that um, because I think we're all in agreement here. We have got to go get bona fide and certified starters that have already had success on a Division One level. And if we can get them from a Power 5 school, then that's all the better. And chances are if they're going in the portal from a Power 5 school, they're either going to be a grad transfer or they're going to be a guy that couldn't win a job on a Friday, Saturday. So – you know, based on what we've seen at times this year, I'll take another Power 5 team Sunday guy. The problem with that is, is teams that have good Sunday guys and, and production from the bottom third of their order are traditionally very good teams. Those teams tend to play a long time. 
So anybody that goes into, into the portal right now from a team that is still in the tournament, you know, that's interesting. There will be some guys, too. It'll be a kind of a staggered thing. Uh, tomorrow, you'll have a bunch of guys that go in the portal probably in the next 48 hours from teams that are not in the tournament or guys that didn't make the travel roster for postseason. I don't want those guys either. If you're not good enough to go contribute on your team this year and they're fighting for the postseason, why do we think they can come in here and play? We're Mississippi State. We don't have to go take your rejects. And that's not to say there won't be one or two guys out there that maybe we have a recruiting relationship with and maybe we think that they've been you know, poorly managed or whatever and say, hey, we can turn this kid around. But you can't make a living going to get a bunch of those guys. Maybe you take one or two, but we've got to go get some bona fide guys. We absolutely have to go get some dudes that can come in here and make some things happen. A lot of people are asking about the pitching coach. And I'll be honest with you, it's been really quiet. Uh, it has been really quiet. And what that usually tells me is that a decision either has been made or is close to being made, and we are protecting the preferred candidate. Because typically when these things are going on, it's just like you saw last year with, uh, with Zach Arnett's stuff. I mean, the only one we missed on was the offensive coordinator. But everybody else we had. And what happens is when a decision has been made, things kind of draw up a little bit. They do. And usually what happens if, if the – vacancy remains you know we start hearing from people uh agents runners for agents and people like that because they're wanting to get their candidate's name associated with the job but they're not going to go out there and push that their guy is a candidate for a job that's already been filled because a lot of jobs get filled before they're announced right Let's say for an example, let's just say Mississippi State has already identified the next pitching coach, and let's say there's already been an informal agreement. Well, if he's still got responsibilities with his current team, well, he doesn't want it out there. You know, he didn't want his team you know, going south on him. He didn't want his guys saying, well, what am I going out here and busting my hump for, and you're leaving. So there's a respect angle with every bit of that. It's important to understand that. So when information kind of dries up, that typically means that a decision is close or a decision's already been made. And I would venture to say that we are, pro I, I believe, based on what I've heard and in my experience covering these things for all these many years, I think we've already identified who we believe is going to be our next pitching coach. That's not to say that things couldn't change. I believe we have. I believe we have probably already come to an agreement and that we'll execute that once his team is done playing. Now, what happens if his team makes a run to Omaha, right? Then that, that kind of convolutes things for us. And also, too, what if all of a sudden the administration starts thinking, well, we can't afford to lose our pitching coach. Look at what a great year we're having. If we bring him back next year with the talent that's returning, maybe we can get back here and win an AFL championship. And so there are still some moving parts in all this. But I do believe Chris Lamontis knows who he wants. I believe that. Because typically when jobs are still open or positions haven't been filled unofficially or officially, there are people that are reaching out trying to get their client an interview or trying to get their name associated with a job. And there's some guys, that's what their job is. It's like, I'm going to call these guys in the media and say, hey, we want, you know, this guy's going to be a candidate for the Mississippi State pitching job. Even if they're not, they'd love to have it included in a hot board or an article or something like that have a mention because all of a sudden other people would say, hey, 
if Mississippi State's looking at this guy, maybe we should look at that guy. It's just kind of like how people play the game with recruiting all the time, right? You got these people out here that are, quote, advisors, and they'll say, hey, let's go report that you got an offer from Mississippi State. Even if Mississippi State hadn't offered or Mississippi State's uninterested, they, they have the kid lie. And next thing you know, it gets reported. Well, then all of a sudden, maybe a Southern Miss or a Memphis is like, hey, that kid's in our territory, and maybe I need to take a second look at him. Oh, Mississippi State likes him. Maybe we should too. And so there's a game that's played there. There's all this gamesmanship with the media that people play in agency worlds, whether they be street agents or real agents, uh, to try to get the people they're representing associated with openings and vacancies because of the fact that it creates a bit of buzz about their client or their player. That's how it works. And the fact that nobody is really reaching out much to create some buzz, it'd be one thing if it was just on the Mississippi State side. If everybody was just tight-lipped over there, you'd say, well, you know. But, you know, I remember people were telling me there's going to be no leaks, no leaks in the search for the new athletic director. And there were. Matter of fact, we identified uh, Zach Selman as a finalist when nobody was even talking about him. And he was going to be an interview guy. Then we came back again. He was on our hot board at the very end. We had a good source on it. We did. We do. Same thing with the coaching search last year, you know, the Zach Garnett thing. I mean, it's like other than Kevin Barbet, we nailed them all. We didn't bat a 1,000. We got them all. And I admit Barbet kind of came out of left field on me. So hats off to, uh, to Zach Garnett for kind of keeping that quiet. But the reality of it is, is that people talk. And people that are attached with contracts like to talk because the more talk there is, the more buzz there is, and the more opportunity there is for them to get a better deal for their client. That's just how the, the game works. And there's just not a lot of buzz, even among people in college baseball circles. You know, people, a lot of people identify some of the same candidates we have and say, yeah, I'm hearing something about this. But they're not going to get out there and break the news until it's official because, hey, you know, say for an example, if we got a guy that's, I don't know, maybe he's a pitching coach in the Big 12. We don't want to burn that bridge with their head coach. We want to burn that bridge with that pitching coach who may ultimately be a head coach someday. And that's how it works. Everybody just kind of sits on it. That's just how it works. It's important to understand that. So, again, my honest opinion is, is Mississippi State has already identified who the, who the pitching coach preferred candidate is, and they're working towards a deal. And, again, that's not to say that things are done deal or that things can't change. But I think one of the reasons that we're not hearing more buzz is because there's nothing else new to know. All right, final segment of the show brought to you, as always, by our friends at Portico. I love Portico. If I was moving to Starkville now, that's where I would move. Very, very simple for me. It wouldn't even be a discussion. I'd just go over there and pick out a housing plan, pick out a lot, and get it done. If you are considering moving to Starkville and becoming one of our neighbors, give Brooks Bryan a call at 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. Maybe you're thinking, hey, this is going to be my primary residence someday. We're just kind of, you know, getting the process going. Brooks can help you with that and tell you what's available. But I can tell you, you can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath home. Go all the way up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home and really anything in between. It's not the cookie-cutter type experience. If you need a custom build, they can accommodate for you as well. Uh, phase one's completely sold out. Phase two, nearly. Got a couple of houses still available there. And then, of course, there is uh, the opportunity to pick out a lot and your housing plan and build the home the way you want it. I don't know your needs. You do. 
and you can communicate those to Brooks and the fine folks at Portico. Very easy to get to. Turn off 82 on a 12, like going to uh, campus. The very first ride is Pat Station Road. You go through that four-way stop. There it is on the right-hand side. Give yourself a self-guided tour next time you come to town. But more importantly, let your real estate agent know, hey, we're interested in looking at Portico. Make it your next move. All right. Uh, next week will be a good content opportunity for us. Uh, you know, we get this week. You know, I'm not, gonna, I'm not traveling this week, thank goodness. Uh, been a lot of time on the road. That's just kind of part of the deal, man. That's just, you know, that's, that's the gig. You know, we spend a lot of time on the road. Most of us do. Some of us don't. Some of us sit at home and cover games from the couch. Um, I'm not one of those folks. But uh, it's nice when there are content, content opportunities here, right? We just ride over to campus. And so football camps are going to be here. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I am a little concerned about recruiting. A little bit. Not too much, but a little bit. I'm just going to, I'm just going to call it for what I see, you know. Um, what I am continually told is business is about to pick up. We just want to see some guys in camps. Uh, there are some guys that are maybe kind of in a pack that we like, but we want to be able to establish the pecking order. And once we get a chance to get them in camp and work them out, we'll have a better idea of who we like. Now, the first camp, and we'll get our calendar out here, our first camp is this Saturday. That's June 3rd. $40 to attend. Saturday, June 3rd. Um, excited about that. You know, we got it's, they call it the Elite Camp. But June 3rd, this Saturday, so we'll have full coverage over jeanspage.com. Paul does a great job putting that thread up, and we'll get in there and kind of add to it as the guys get there. Uh, and that's the thing, too. It's like, you know, that there are a lot of guys in this state. I don't know how many of them are going to camp. There may be some guys just kind of come and hang out and talk to your staff, go to Ole Miss, talk to their staff, kind of fill the staff out, watch some film. But there are a lot of guys out there I think need to work out. And that's not just here, but, but elsewhere, right? And I think there's some, some guys out there that have offers that probably need to have a good workout to make that offer committable. Now, we'll turn around to next week on Tuesday, June the 6th, we'll have another camp. And I really like the midweek camps, even though it's summer, because there's weekend camps at time. You get 400 kids out there, and you can't tell, you know, who's who, and and you get a lot of guys out there, too, that aren't really prospects. And that's not to say that every prospect that comes to our campus should be a bona fide guy. You're not going to take a lot of those guys. But there are a lot of high school guys that come for the instruction. And not to mention, you come up here, and, and there's some other schools that will come and participate and help facilitate camps, even some junior college coaches. And those guys may catch their eye. And so if you're on the fence, maybe about sending your kid, it's like, I don't want to spend it. Number one, it's 40 bucks. Okay, it's 40 bucks. It's not like it's 100 bucks. It's not like it's a long trip. It's 40 bucks. It's not just Bulldog coaches are going to be watching them. You can say, you know what, Steve, I, you know, I know my kid doesn't have SEC ability. And you know what? Good for you to have that level of self-awareness. But then any chance you have to be evaluated is a good thing because you never know who could be watching you never know. I mean, we had Louisiana Monroe here uh, last year, and they offered some guys. And I want to say they took a couple commitments from guys they saw at camp. And so, you know, free school is free school. Not everybody's going to be talented enough to play in a Southeastern Conference, but if you get an opportunity to come to camp 
and work your way onto the recruiting radar somewhere and build a relationship, even if it's not with Mississippi State, that's money well spent. We'll come back on Thursday with another camp on June the 8th, and then next Saturday, June the 10th. Uh, that'll be big too. So four camps coming up here in a matter of eight days. The specialist camp will also be on the 10th. Uh, June 11th we'll have a camp. It's getting busy, guys. It is. June 11th, of course, is a Sunday. Uh, and then we'll turn around, and then on the 15th and 17th, uh, have some camps there, too. So a lot of opportunities uh, to come and camp. But uh, the week of the 6th, the 3rd through the 10th, those eight days will be the bulk of all of this. And uh, we typically have a July camp. I don't know if we will this year. There's not one on the schedule right now. I'm not exactly sure how we're going to handle that. But... Um, you know, the rules tend to change every single year. So we'll have full coverage, and uh, I know that Paul will beat all of them. I will beat all, I think, but one. But you're going to have full coverage either way. And, uh, again, I remember when, you know, Mullen was here, we had camps like 10, 11 days in a row. And it was such a grind. The good thing about it was, was it's a very manageable number of guys to cover. So we'll try to get some good interviews and some videos and pictures and kind of let you know who's coming to town. And I suspect we're going to be getting some commitments shortly thereafter. I don't know if you get them, like, at the camp. There may be some guys that uh, are on the fence that have kind of been leaning towards making a commitment. They want to commit in person. You know, we saw that with Cam Dantzler here, you know, a few years back, right? Uh, Cam came in, camp did great, and then came all the way back from Hammond, Louisiana, to commit to your staff in person. You may have some of that. But there will be other guys, too, that will come in, They'll work out, and then the staff will meet, and then we'll say, hey, we're ready to take you. Let's get this ball rolling. So, again, I think business picks up once we get through uh, next week of camp. It's important to kind of understand that. There will be, there'll be a lot going on, uh, and hopefully the weather will cooperate, and we'll have a good day and a good content day, and you can uh, kind of catch up with us over at, at jeanspage.com. So, again, uh, think about that as we get into uh, later in the week. A lot of good things going on. That's the thing about these camps, too, is one thing I love are those guys that show up but you don't know. You know guys just show up and you're like, well, where'd that guy come from? And he comes in here and does a good job and ultimately leaves with an offer and becomes a bulldog and maybe gets his college education and uh, joins the alumni base and gives to the Bulldog Initiative, right? Yeah, that's what we're shooting for now. But the bottom line is, is you know, we need guys to come in here and play football and help us win football games. And so business is about to pick up. And so we'll see. That's one thing that we've heard for weeks and weeks and weeks. We're not pushing for commitments, not pushing for commitments. We want to get into camp. Or it's a handful of guys we'll take right now if they want to commit. But we really want to get into camps. And with all these new coaches on the staff, I kind of get that. And a lot of people have said, hey, you know, Steve, you know, Ole Miss has got some guys and that we really wanted. And, and, you know, Cam Beavers is one I really wanted too. And I'm not saying that's over with. But a uh, guy can really play. You know, Benito Jones went to Ole Miss, too. And, of course, basically wasted his career up there. Uh, but, you know, they're, they're going to get some guys, too, especially this year when there's so many good defensive linemen in the state. But a lot of times, too, just because somebody says they beat Mississippi State on a kid, doesn't mean they did. Right? It's, it's kind of like, oh, well, I won the game. Why did I, I didn't even show up and play. I didn't know there was a game. What do you mean you beat me? Right? That's part of it, too. So don't get all bent out of shape with that aspect of it. You know, it's like, oh, well, they're, they're kicking our tail here. Let them talk. It doesn't matter. We have the egg. And not to mention, we're going to win it again this year. I'm just telling you now, we're going to win it again this year. I'm ready.
You should be too. But don't get caught up in the, the summer gamesmanship of the media about this guy said this and this guy, so what? There's enough kids to go around, and I think I, I've got a lot of confidence in our staff. And as I mentioned, I'm a little concerned. But you know what? We pick up a handful of commitments here in the next month. I, I man won't be nearly as concerned. That's a big part of this. You know, there's a lot of talent, and especially guys that are similarly situated. In order to kind of establish the pecking order and know the guy that fits what you want, you got to get them in the camp. You do. You got to get them in the camp. I think there are a lot of guys out there, too, that realize the level of competition. It would be one thing if we only had one defensive lineman in the state this year that had an SEC grade on them. That would be different. And you got probably eight. Eight guys that could conceivably sign with an SEC school this year. And so, you know, there's competition among them, too. It's like, well, i got to make sure that my offers are valid. So i got to get out there and work. You know, that's important to understand. And so I share that with you because to kind of prepare you, uh, this week, of course, you know, we'll talk a little baseball. We're going to start talking football, and uh, we'll get into our football previews here sooner rather than later. Uh, we'll probably do some post-spring type stuff. Uh, you know, the portal, of course, uh, you know, who had a good portal class and who didn't? You know, we're still out there, you know, got an opportunity to take a couple of guys. We'll kind of beat the bushes here and see what we can find out, kind of where things stand. You know, is, is State going to add a couple more guys in the portal? I don't know. We'll see. I know we're looking, but we don't want to take a guy that's a take a guy, right? If, if we don't need to take anybody to ride the scholarship roles, it ain't going to make a contribution other than the APR, right? I mean, that's just – that's important to understand. That's a big part of all this to understand is that you have got an opportunity here uh, to better your team, and we don't need to go work the JAG Corps, right? That's the reality of it. we got to make sure we're getting guys coming here, and even if it's not this year – in the years ahead, to be able to make a positive contribution to Mississippi State football, right? We don't need to panic and go take a kid just because the numbers say we should. Because then all of a sudden you get stuck with guys that can't play. And I say it all the time on the show, it's not the guys you don't get that get you beat. It's the kids you sign that can't play. And that's what camps does, help us determine who can play and who can't, who can absorb coaching, who fits our culture. So I'm not ready to panic. I am a little concerned. I'm not ready to panic. I got a lot of faith in Zach Arnett. He's pushed every right button every step of the way since the moment he got the job. So, why, you know, when I look at the track record, even though it's limited as a head coach, every time he's had a chance to make the mistake, he's done the right thing. So, let's put some trust in that. Zach knows what he's doing. He's got some people around him that are very talented. I mean, you think David Turner, Tony Hughes, those guys don't know how the bread is buttered in this state? They know. It's not like you went out and got a brand-new staff that is completely oblivious to how things work in Mississippi. They know. They know what they're up against. They know how hard they're going to have to work. It's not like all of a sudden Tony and David just showed up because we uh, changed our coaching, our head coaching position. They don't know what to do. You know, they, they know how to get to Stone County High School. You know, they know where Kill, Mississippi is. You know, they understand all that stuff. And so I'm just encouraging you to have a little faith here. I know everybody's like, oh, trust the coaches. Well, this situation, yeah, I'm telling you, trust the coaches, not because I say it, but because when you look at what Zach has done, you, you, you fended off all the, po- the poachers. You didn't lose Xavion. You didn't lose Tulu. You didn't, I mean, there were all these people trying to get Trevion Williams to go in the portal. That didn't happen. Did a great job. And we ended up signing a top 25 class. Then we won a ball game. And we came back and added some more in February. Went out and put together a great staff. And we had a good spring. 
you know, at some point you got to say, you know what, the guy knows what he's doing. I believe he does. I think Zach Arnett, as young as he is, Zach Arnett is a guy that knows where he wants to go, and I think he fits our value system extremely well. And there's no point in panicking, saying, oh, well, Ole Miss got a couple commitments, so let's go call a kid that will commit so our fans won't panic. I mean, what does that profit us? we got to cancel him late. You know, we got to drop him late. And they're like, oh, I really hated that. You know, well, the only reason we took him was to make you feel better. And if you don't think there have been some coaches in the past that have done that, it's to get our name in the paper to make it seem like we got a little juice. You're kidding yourself. It's true. All right, if you haven't done so, go to dogpilebook.com, and you can get most of my sports books there. You can get Dogpile, you can get uh, Flim Flam, and you can get Alpha Dogs. And um, very little Stark villains to be had. Matter of fact, uh, Lemuria Books bought the last 10 books of Stark Villains. So if you've been looking for that, you can find it. They were completely sold out of Lemuria. So if you went in there looking for it, you can find it now. There is nothing left in the warehouse. Nothing. And uh, those 10 books were actually at my agent's house. They were like left over from a book signing. And uh, they were just kind of looking to see if they had any left because of the fact there's been so much urgency about that book for some reason. Uh, people have been buying it again, and so they needed it because they were sold out. Sure enough, that we had a partial box in the back of his uh, of his uh, Suburban. And so he goes and delivers it to them, so they were completely sold out. And Alpha Dogs is not far behind that. I think there are about 40 copies of Alpha Dogs left in the warehouse, from what they're telling me. I think that's right. So if you hadn't bought Dad Alpha Dogs, if he's gotten Stark Villains and Flim Flam, maybe even Dogpile, go ahead and complete the collection by getting Alpha Dogs. If you're looking for Blooms of Oleander, you need to act fast. I'm not going to renew that one. That's the only book I've self-published, contrary to popular belief. Uh, but I'm not going to keep, you know, throwing that renewal fee out there because uh, I think everybody that wants that book's probably already bought the book. And so once it's off the market, I'll quit advertising it. But you can find it on Amazon.com, BarnesNoble.com, BooksAmillion.com, or through your local bookstore. And, of course, uh, all your great stores in Starkville have it. Um, and then if you're looking for Stark Villains gear, you can find that at StarkVillains.com. Be sure and check it out today and come be a part of our merry band of misfits over at JeansPage.com. I would put our group of posters up against anybody in the world. We have some of the most knowledgeable posters, and we've got some that aren't so knowledgeable. They're often in error, but never in doubt, right? And that, that kind of makes it fun. Come join our community. Come join the discussion over jeanspage.com, the Mississippi State affiliate for 247 Sports. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends and enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.